Well, I wonder how your, your appetite is this morning. Did you have a tasty breakfast? Are you full from your breakfast this morning? Maybe, maybe you got up a little early and now you're on your second or third breakfast or, or morning tea, perhaps. Uh, uh, perhaps, the, the, I know for us, the, the kids got up so early that they probably are on their second or third breakfast uh, now. Uh, so I wonder how your appetite is as you, as you come to church in this way this morning. But on the other hand, how is your spiritual appetite? Are you hungry to hear from God this morning? Are you hungry to know more of him, to to hear him speak? Are you prepared uh, for that? Are you expecting something uh, from God this morning as you hear his word this this morning, spoken? Are you eager to learn a new thing of God, to grow in knowledge and, and most especially to grow in love for him, that his love made known to you may be known by you this morning. What is uh, that spiritual appetite that you uh, have this morning? Well, our passage this morning speaks of appetites and all this talk of food and hunger may well be getting you uh, a tad peckish uh, as well. Uh, But as Jesus speaks to his disciples and the wider crowd, he uses words and images of food and drink to illustrate who he is. In the first of these I am statements, Jesus declares himself in verse 35 to be the bread of life. I am the bread of life. If you followed along with the reading, you may have noticed that we entered a story in which there is already a little history. From the beginning of chapter 6, Jesus has been interacting with the same crowd on the far side of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus has healed and taught and fed a crowd, totaling 5,000 men plus women and children. During the evening, Jesus left that side of the lake and performed another of his miracles by, by walking on water and arrived in a town called Capernaum. The crowd are somewhat confused. They never saw Jesus leave, but, but they found him here in this town. How did he get here? And in verse 25, they ask him, Rabbi, when, when did you arrive? Teacher, when, when did you arrive? But Jesus, he doesn't answer their question. He knows that the crowd are hungry again for the food that he only gave them yesterday. He knows the real reason why they are here. To get the food for their stomachs, to again be satisfied in the physical. Jesus is popular with them at the moment because, well, he looks like someone who can provide one of their most basic needs for them, food, without them even having to work for it. And so rather answering uh, the question of, of when did he get here, he, he turns this into a lesson about who he really is and what they should really be seeking. He wants to teach them a spiritual lesson based on the physical sign he has just performed and, and that he has been sent to bring eternal life and everlasting satisfaction, to bring eternal life and everlasting satisfaction to those who believe. And as one of Jesus' key lessons 
here for the disciples and for the crowd is that the God the Father has sent him, the Son, Jesus Christ, to bring that everlasting life, uh, everlasting satisfaction and that eternal life. And there, therefore he has come with a purpose. There is a purpose for which he is here. Four times in this passage, Jesus refers to himself as being one who has been sent by God. Verse 29, 38, 44, and 57. And the purpose for which he has come is to do the will of the Father, to make it clear that humanity is to believe in him. He's been sent to gather God's people, to bring God's people, to ensure that none will be lost, and that those who God has given him will be kept safe, and that then they will be raised from the dead when it is time. He has come with a purpose. Now, if you will excuse a football analogy this week, given that it is football uh, finals, uh, think about perhaps the coach giving a message to their players. A coach has a message for their players, and so they send out a runner. And that runner is, has a purpose. It is to convey the message of the coach to the player or players. And they are to do that without altering the message. The runner is not free to ad-lib or, or to bring about his own interpretation of the message of the coach. But what he must do is tell the runner correctly. He is the coach's representative. The coach's representative who tells the player the message on the coach. Evidently, uh, that wasn't happening last night for one team. Uh, but similarly, Jesus is obviously here, has come to communicate the Father's message, a message which includes the giving of eternal life and the giving of everlasting satisfaction. And this leads us to our first point this morning, that Jesus is the one who gives us eternal life. Jesus is the one who gives us eternal life. A few years ago now, uh, the Twilight books, uh, which then became movies, uh, were very popular, particularly with a certain demographic. You may, uh, you may know of this. And in the Twilight saga, uh, there is a family known as the Cullen family. And because of the type of beings that they are, they would never age and they would live forever. Well, they could live forever. They would never age and they could live forever. Well, eternal life is not like uh, the Cullen family from Twilight, who would never age and live forever, and nor is eternal life some sort of fancy fairy tale that we like to think of, of living up in the clouds. Now, in this passage, Jesus tells us what eternal life is and talks about eternal life uh, and the fact that he is the one who is able to give it to us, to give it to those who believe in him. In verse 27, uh, Jesus says, Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man, Jesus, will give you. And in verse 40, he says, For my Father's will is that everyone who looks upon the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up 
in the last day. And again, in verse 47, Jesus is very clear. I tell you the truth. He who believes has eternal life. And so eternal life is evidently a gift from God. It is a gift given from God or by God to those who believe in his son. And it is a gift that only God can give. It's a gift that only God can give to us because he is the one who has it and can therefore give it. In order to be a giver of a gift, one needs to, the person needs to be in possession of that gift so that they can give it to someone. And so this morning, I would like to give you a gift. I would like to give you a gift. You're all decent people, I'm sure. Uh, most of you are anyway. No, no, you're all, you're all fine. Uh, and I, I like you. I'd like to give you a gift this morning. Give you a gift that will change your life. It will mean that you, that many anxieties and worries will, will, will disappear. Uh, it will mean that you'll no longer need to worry about any of your expenses. Uh, any of your, your mortgage, perhaps, you, you won't need to worry about your child's education or, or financial future. I would give you this morning, I would like to give you $1 million. Would you accept $1 million from me? I'd like to give you $1 million this morning. That, is, that would be my gift to you. But of course, we have a problem. Unfortunately for you, Unfortunately for me, perhaps, I don't have a million dollars to give you. I am not in possession of a million dollars. And so therefore, unfortunately, I am unable to give you the gift of a million dollars that I would like to. Because I am not in possession of it. That God is able to give us eternal life because he is in possession of eternal life. John begins his gospel by telling us that Jesus was from the beginning with God. And no one can give a gift they don't have, but, but Jesus, being fully God and fully human, can give us eternal life because he is in possession of it. Jesus even uses his own body as a metaphor for believing in him and being gifted eternal life. He says this in verse 51, I am, the bre- I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. He is the giver of this gift of eternal life. But what is eternal life, you may ask? John records for us Jesus' own words in chapter 17, verse 3, about eternal life. Jesus prays, now, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life comes down to knowing God, knowing God through believing in Jesus. Commentator Colin Cruz, while referring to this verse, writes about eternal life in this way. Eternal life is knowing God. But as in the Old Testament, this knowledge is not simply knowing information about God. 
It is having a relationship with him involving response, obedience and fellowship. This knowing of God, this having a relationship with God, this this fellowship with God is, is found in believing in Jesus and therefore results in eternal life. Eternal life comes not only in the future but is also something that we can grasp now that we have now, that we have received in the present. And it is grasped and received and gifted to us through a relationship with God, through believing in him. Jesus himself in in verse 33 and, and 51 says that he gives life to the world. This occurs through his presence with us in the world. He's coming down into it and he's giving his flesh, giving his life, Four hours on the cross. Jesus has already said, I am the bread of life. But now using these flesh and blood metaphors in, in verses 51 to 59, which we'll, we'll touch on a bit more later, he, he makes this connection that through him, through believing in him, eternal life is given to us. And so a reminder of this point is that Jesus gives us eternal life. Jesus is the one who gives us eternal life. But he's not only the one that gives us eternal life, he's also the one that gives us eternal satisfaction. In verse 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And it's in this verse that he encapsulates everything he is saying and everything that he is about. Eternal life, eternal satisfaction. For Jesus has been sent by the Father and in his sending he he brings us something that is real, something that is true, something that is everlasting and, and satisfying. When we eat, uh, no matter how much we eat, uh, and no matter what it is or how great the meal may have been, there comes a time where we know it is, it is really only satisfies us temporarily because there comes a time when we need to start thinking about our next meal. I'm sure you can rem- remember a great meal that you've had, something that really, uh, really melted in the mouth, something that was perhaps from a different culture, something that was perhaps... A part of a meal of celebration. It was a meal that, that got your taste buds going. It was, it was terrific and uh, you remember it well. But then, obviously, there, there came a time a few hours later where that satisfaction had subsided and it was time to turn your attention to your next meal, to think about what you'd eat uh, in the future coming up. Well, Jesus has been sent to give us eternal life and an everlasting satisfaction for our souls, an imperishable satisfaction. Jesus fulfills the spiritual hunger and the need of humanity as it chases false gods, false joys, false hopes, things that do not truly satisfy. No matter how many people chase after happiness and joy and peace through worldly pleasures, and put their faith in things that are material and things that are fake, their appetite is not fulfilled. 
they always seek more. And these things are simply a shadow of reality, a continued striving for money, for sex, for corporate success, for intellectual success, for education, for perfect partner, for perfect family, for the perfect body, whatever it might be, it is never truly satisfying. It never truly everlastingly fulfills. And so rather it is through striving for God, striving after God and belief in his son that fully and truly and really satisfies the appetite of our souls. Brian Welsh, also known by his stage name Head, is one of the guitarists and founder of the band Korn, the metal band Korn. Welsh helped uh, form uh, Korn in 1993, and uh, he, uh, he lived a life of sex, drugs, and, and rock and roll and until about 2005. And in that year, he walked away from a $23 million uh, record deal after choosing the Lord Jesus Christ as his saviour. And in 2003, he got back together with the band after getting sober and then sharing his, his faith more broadly and more publicly. Uh, he, he felt compelled to return to the band. And in doing so, he said this. He remarked, I know the music's crazy, but mainly the lyrics are about pain. And they're coming from a real and raw place. People need hope. There's addictions like crazy in that world. There's depression and a lot of other stories too. What better place for me to be? Having the meaning of life that I carry. You know... I know the answer to the meaning of life. Here is a man who on the surface had it all, had it all. In the eyes of the world, he was successful and he was enjoying the excesses and pleasures of all that that brought. And yet at the end of the day, there was something missing. There was still a, a dissatisfaction. And in the end, the only satisfaction for him come, came through, through believing in Jesus Christ. In verses 32 and, and 47 of our passage this morning, Jesus makes reference to Moses and the manna given to the people of God as they wandered the wilderness. These comments hark back to Exodus 16, uh, where the people of Israel are complaining after being brought out from Egypt, as Moses leads them. Um, they, they are complaining that they do not have enough food to eat, and so God provides them with this manna, manna from heaven, which is, is technically a coriander seed made in wafer form, and, and, and Jesus sort of makes it easier for us to understand by calling it bread from heaven. But the deal with this manna was that it was only last for a day, for 24 hours. The people would need to go out and collect it. They would then come back and cook it and eat it. And then if they were greedy enough or they wanted more and they started like hoarding it, well then it would just turn rotten and it would stink. So it would only last uh, for a short period of time, 24 hours. And so this background gives us, I think, greater understanding of Jesus' words and what he is saying when he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall never be hungry. 
nor whoever believes in me shall never thirst. You see, unlike the 24-hour manna that is sent by God to the desert to God's people in the Old Testament, Jesus is the true bread from heaven. Jesus is the true bread from heaven that will last for eternity and will bring real satisfaction. This, this act of God sending the manna to the people of Israel in Exodus 16 is really a foreshadow, a picture of Jesus coming with the true satisfaction, the everlasting satisfaction. The manna only lasts for 24 hours and the hunger that it satisfies is purely physical. Uh, and it only lasts a, a little while. But then those who believe in Jesus, well, they will find true satisfaction. They will try to find real satisfaction. They will find everlasting satisfaction. True satisfaction both now and forevermore. And in fact, Jesus ends up up in the ante a little bit here as well. In his final words of his passage, this passage, which I'd like you to follow along from verse 53, uh, he, he, really, uh, he really starts giving it to them. Let's read uh, verse 53. Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them, just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. So the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Well, here is a bold and provocative image. On the surface, Jesus seems to be advocating for cannibalism. But of course, so no wonder the, the, the crowd are confused and uh, starting to get a bit outraged by this. Uh, but of course he's not advocating for cannibalism. It's a figure of speech, a metaphor, an illustration that he is using. Yet behind this image, behind this image that he is used, is the truth that actually everything we eat has died. Meat is obviously dead cow, and bread is dead wheat. And the fruit that we eat has been plucked from its life source and is dead itself as well. So life in our bodies is sustained by consuming things that have died, which is pretty obvious once you start thinking about it. And Jesus wants to push people beyond just thinking about their physical and temporary needs. He wants them to start thinking about their spiritual needs, their, their, their eternal needs. And he does this by giving notice that eternal life and eternal satisfaction that this, this eternal life and eternal satisfaction that he is offering them, that he is willing to give them, requires actually that he dies. It requires that he dies. You see, eternal life, a God-given quality of life, 
and true satisfaction in life is also the product of death. Jesus' death. His death. And so just as the manna from heaven is a foreshadow of Jesus' life and death, so too here, the bread of life, Jesus' words here are the foreshadow of what is to come later on in John's Gospel, his actual death, his death on a cross, his death on a cross for his disciples, for the crowd, for you and for me. Eternal life and eternal everlasting satisfaction is a product of death, Jesus' death, for you and for me. And so Jesus is the one that gives us eternal or everlasting satisfaction. And all this means, really, is that Jesus is the one, then, in whom we are to believe. The one who fully satisfies, the one who truly brings peace to our soul is the one who has been sent, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. The challenge that Jesus is putting to the crowd, to his disciples, is that they must believe in him. There's no two ways about it. They aren't entirely convinced right now, and there's a little way to go in the story of his life. But they continually make the mistake of thinking that Jesus is talking about literally eating his flesh and drinking his blood. But really, Jesus over and over and over and over again is making reference to himself, the one in which people are to believe, the one in which you are to believe. And so we must do this too. We must believe. You must believe. I must believe in order to receive the gift that God is giving us is to believe in Jesus Christ, this gift of eternal life, and eternal satisfaction. We must believe in order that our appetite, our hunger for false satisfaction, our hunger uh, for false satisfaction will be taken away, replaced with hearts that are eternally satisfied through our belief in Jesus Christ. As we entered into this story, we saw that the crowds had asked Jesus, what must we do to be doing the works of God? To which Jesus replied in verse 29, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Somewhat of a, a watershed verse for us. It answers that exact question. What are we to do? You are to believe. That is the answer, the simple and yet profound answer from Jesus' own mouth, is that you are to believe. Believe in me. Believe in the one that the Father has sent. There are no additional worldly works that one needs to do. There is no extra requirements other than one must simply believe in Jesus. And that is the crux of Christianity, the heart of Christianity. That is the simplicity of Christianity, that to be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus, is to put your faith in Jesus, to believe, to believe in Him. In order to know God, 
in order to receive eternal life, in order to receive everlasting satisfaction, one must believe. There is nothing more that God requires of us. So whether you ate breakfast or not this morning, well, that's not really uh, my concern. My concern is whether your soul has received the bread of life this morning. Has your soul received its food? For as Jesus says himself that he is the bread of life, he has been sent to give eternal life and eternal everlasting satisfaction for you and for me. He is the one who will deal with our hunger and our thirst, our hunger and our thirst for what is true and for what is real. And so this morning I encourage you to believe. This morning I believe he calls us, he calls us this morning to believe in him. Let's pray.